Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. I'm starting a new series today, kind of a Christmas series entitled Origin. Now let me explain to you why I'm talking about the word, why I'm titling it origin, because we know the end of the story, right? Like we know that Jesus, we've been singing about this morning, is now the resurrected king, amen? And Jesus is coming again. And so I, I can read the end of the book and I know we win and I know it's great and I know Jesus is king and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I got it. Jesus is amazing and will be amazing uh, for all of eternity. That's the understatement of the world. But it didn't start out that way. So it's like if you read the origin story of Jesus, you'd be like, what? He's going to do what? God didn't even have a bed to lay in. And the funny thing is, many superhero stories have copied the pattern of Jesus's origin story. It's almost a three-part act, if I were to simplify it. If you'll notice this among superhero stories, they have the lowly beginning, the tragedy in the middle, and the triumph at the end. That's the story of Jesus when you start with his birth, when you start with his origin. So I want us over the next few weeks as we lead up to Christmas, I want us to talk about the origin story. We're going to look at all of those or a lot of those passages in the Bible that give out pieces of the Christmas story, how it all got started, origin. How many of you like Marvel and Avenger movies? Let me see your hand. Yeah. Yeah, my wife's not her favorite thing to go to. She'll go to me with them sometimes, but the Marvel movies are the superhero movies. And if you aren't careful, you'll start to think that those are just random movie making, but it's not. The first Marvel or Avengers type movie was Iron Man, released in 2008. And since then, somebody guess how many Marvel Avenger movies have been made since then? 17 in all have been made. And get this, there are nine more in various stages of production to be released before 2020. And get this, the Marvel Universe, it's called the Marvel Cinematic Universe, has movies already planned through 2028. I read an article the other day that they said Marvel owns the rights to 7,000 characters and they have hinted that they plan on using most of them. Now, I know some of you maybe don't like Marvel movies, but here's the deal. They have grossed $13.4 billion, making it the highest grossing franchise of all movie time. So here they are, the producers of Marvel movies. They have meticulously planned out, uh, uh, some say as many as 45 or 50 movies up through 2028 
with movies to come for the foreseeable future. And they have them in phase one and phase two and phase three and phase four. It is this meticulous planning that goes into the birth of a superhero. All of that meticulous planning for a comic book series. And if we'll go through that much effort to plan out a comic book series, don't you think God did the same for the coming of his son? There was not one iota of randomness to the birth of Jesus. I mean, don't be like, oh man, Jesus had to be born in a manger. No, it was planned that way. Don't be like, oh man, they had to travel. No, it was planned that way. Don't be like, oh man, all people showed up with shepherds. No, it was planned that way. God meticulously planned out every detail in eternity past and brought it to fruition some 2,000 years ago. And we call it the Christmas story. It's the origin story of the king of the universe. And here's what we've come to understand, that God leaves nothing to chance. Here's what we know, that God has a plan for his entire universe, that God has a plan for the entire world. But listen, that ought to speak to you today because here's what else we know. Not only does God have a plan for the entire universe, but God has a plan for your universe as well. God has a plan for your life as well. God has a plan for your world as well, just like he did when the story started some 2,000 years ago. So take your Bibles, if you will, and stand up with me. And let's look at one of the origin stories beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And I want to preach this morning on God has a plan. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, considered what matter of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, who has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thank you. You may be seated. So I'm going to walk you through the story, and I know many of you have heard the story before. Let me point out a few things you may not know in the story, and then let me make some application at the end. Because where we find ourselves at in Luke chapter 1 is this pre-birth announcement scene. Jesus is not being born. Mary is just being told the story. It's when Mary finds out God's plan for her life and God's plan for the world. So we pick it up beginning in verse 26. Six months after Gabriel delivered God's message to Zechariah. Now, 
What was God's message to Zechariah? God delivered a message, Gabriel did, to Zechariah and Elizabeth and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. Now, that baby turned out to be John the Baptist. There are a couple things uh, uh, remarkable about that announcement. Number one, they were senior adults when that announcement got made. I mean, they were older people. So you can imagine being an empty nester, being about 75 years old, finally deciding you're just going to live life the way you want to live it, and God coming and saying, by the way, you're going to have a baby. I'm not yet 50, and I don't want that to happen to me, right? Like, I I don't want, but they were excited, and she had been barren all of her life, not able to have children, and so Gabriel's already came along and uh, told Zechariah and Elizabeth they were going to have a baby, and now just so you know, we're not into that story today, but that baby is going to become John the Baptist, and he's going to be the forerunner of Jesus. And so God sends the angel with another message this time, this time to a virgin named Mary who lived in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now, Nazareth uh, is Joseph and Mary's hometown. It's a long ways from Jerusalem, which was the center of Jewish life. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem, not in Nazareth, but he grew up in Nazareth. But the interesting thing is, the Bible tells us a little bit later on, that the people of Nazareth, though he was raised in Nazareth, rejected him as Savior. And so he comes to Mary. Mary is not a prophet. She is not a priest. She was not in God's temple performing acts of service. Instead, here's what Mary was. She was a young woman who was living at home planning her wedding. Mary was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, in ancient Jewish time, the word engaged carried a whole lot more meaning than it does today. Oftentimes, you'll see it translated betrothed in the Bible. In in ancient times, when they were engaged, two things had taken place. Number one, the families had negotiated a price of the betrothal, literally the groom had to pray, pay for the bride. As a father of two girls, I'm all for that. <laughs> so the price at this point for the bride has already been paid. After the price had been negotiated and paid, then an announcement would be made. And at that point, the couple would be called pledge together. It's similar to what we'd call an engagement today, but this time it's much more binding because at this point they were not officially married, but the marriage ceremony could only be broken through death or divorce. So get this, you're engaged and the only way you can get out of your engagement is through death or divorce. You were not allowed to have any physical relationships with the, with the bride and groom, but you were considered almost pre-married at this point. So if you wanted out of your uh, engagement, it would take a writing of divorce to even get out of the gauge engagement. So during this time, she would still live with her parents. He would live with his parents. They'd have very little uh, sometimes uh, contact with each other. And the waiting period would demonstrate the bride's purity. Because some reason she proved to be impure. Some reason she became uh, expecting during this time that a marriage could be annulled. Now, keep that in your mind. If during her engagement time, she was found with child, almost always the marriage would be annulled. And so in verse 27, we have what look like strange words that it's where we get the doctrine of the virgin birth. It was unprecedented and difficult to believe And uh, it's troubling. I mean, Mary even says, well, wait later on. How can that possibly be?
And so we begin to look in verse 28. The angel finds Mary, gives her a fourfold greeting, rejoice, which just means be happy, highly favored one, which means she had found grace in the eyes of God, nothing that she had done, but she had found grace in God's eyes. And then he said, the Lord is with you. It literally means in the Old Testament, people would say the Lord is with you when you're about to have a near impossible task. It meant the Lord will help you and blessed are you among women. She was going to be a special instrument in the plan of God. So verse 29, she says that when she heard this, she was troubled. Diatrasso in the Greek, it means to have an acute level of distress and anxiety, possibly even fear. So look this way. You kind of get that, don't you? An angel shows up while you're at the mall and says, hey, I'm an angel from God. Blessed are you, George, whatever your name is. Brittany, I don't know, whatever her name is. and I mean, you'd be a little scared, right? Somebody pops up and tells you they're an angel. Typically, typically, you should run to the authorities, right? Unless, you know, unless it's like a pickup line. You know, you know, did it hurt when you fell from heaven or whatever? You know, I don't remember that pickup line, but, you know. Anyway, I'm, I'm way off the subject here. And so, um, the beginning of verse number 30 He says, you found favor with God, and he says, you're going to conceive in your womb, and you're going to have a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus, and here's some things about your baby. Your baby is going to be great. Your baby is going to be the son of the highest. Your baby is going to sit on on David's throne. His kingdom will reign forever and ever and never have any end. Now, here's the deal, all the way down through verse 33, that's the end of the story, That's the celebration. That's the triumph. That's the last act. There's a lot to come before then. But verse 34, Mary said, (laughs) one problem. This can't be because I have never known a man. I've never had any sexual relationship with a man whatsoever. And so it's going to, I can't have a baby. And not only that, I'm engaged. And I'm not allowed to have any sexual relations during this engagement. And so Gabriel goes on and in verse 35 and explains how Mary would become with child yet remain a virgin. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's interesting, the terminology there is the same word that's used of the transfiguration where he talks about overshadowing you. It, it was when the Shekinah glory of God settled on Jesus there in about Matthew 17 that that, that same word is the presence of God will come. There's nothing physical about it at all. Jesus was going to be born born without the benefit of a father because his father was God. Not only that, that means he would be, bo- be born without sin. So don't get this, get this. You carry the sin lineage of your father. And so just like Adam, who was born, uh, who was created without a father and therefore carried no inherent sin nature, so Jesus now would be born as the son of God. And that, that sin nature from the father that we all have, that everybody of all time has, will, was not passed on to Jesus. He was born without our sin nature. And so 
The angel has said already he'll be called the son of the highest, but in verse 35, the angel says he will be called the son of God. And so then you get down to verse 36, and he tells her, hey, Elizabeth is already expecting. She didn't know that. They didn't have cell phones or email or instant message or landlines or anything. They lived far away and didn't know that. And so he said, uh, uh, so, just so you understand how God works, Elizabeth, who is a barren senior adult, is expecting a child. And so he begins in verse 37. It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and he just throws it in before Mary can say, Whoa, wait a minute. How can Elizabeth be expecting? She's, she's old, and she's barren, and she's never had any kids. And the angel just preempts all of that and says, For with God. Nothing, nothing is impossible. See, the angel explains how a barren Elizabeth can become with child and then also how it's going to be possible for Mary to conceive her son. And here's what he surmises, that when God is at work, nothing is impossible for him. And verse 38 concludes this portion of the story where in verse 38 Mary humbly accepts God's will and God's plan for her life. Mary's obedience in verse 38 is one of the greatest testimonies in Scripture of humble, faithful obedience. Get this. Mary refers to herself as the handmaid of the Lord, a term that can be translated slave girl of the Lord. The word here, and I love this. This is the first time in ever studying my Bible I have seen this. So when I say something like that, you ought to pay attention. Look at what he says in verse 38. Behold the mace of the Lord, let it be to me. Let it be to me is an uncommon octative move. I think mood, I think I'm saying that right in the Greek. Think of it this way. Here's how it helps me remember it. It's the optimistic mood. In, in, in this instant, that's not what it means. I'm just saying it helps you get the context. In this instant, the word expresses more than a simple resignation to the events foretold. Rather, re- the response implies a desire that these things should happen to her. So when she said, let it be unto me according to the, your word, here's what Mary was saying. It was not a resignation like, oh, I guess if that's what he's going to do. No, in verse 38, it was the optative move. Mary was excited that these things are going to happen. She was hoping these things were going to happen. She was wishing that these things, that God would use her in such a powerful way. That is the beginning of the origin story. It's the origin or the grand unfolding of the plan of God for all of humanity. It's what's been planned for eternity. God is just now revealing Mary's part in that. But the story teaches us a lot, listen, about God's plan for our lives. So can I take the story of Mary in this Christmas story? And this morning, knowing what you know and running us through Scripture, can I make three simple observations about God's plan for your life? Because when we see God's plan for Mary's life, we see how that ties in perfectly to God's plan for your life and God's plan for my life. So let me tell you three things that you need to know based on this about God's plan for your life. Number one is this. You don't see the big picture. You don't see the big picture. Now here's Mary going along with her life, preparing the way a normal young lady prepares for marriage. As a matter of fact, if you'd ask Mary, Mary, what is your biggest dream in life? What is your biggest hope in life? 
I mean, you know, a young girl that's engaged, you know what she's going to say. She says, oh, I'm hoping I'm having a great wedding. I, I, I hope that uh, my husband's going to be an awesome husband. I hope uh, my, my wish is I'm going to be an awesome wife. My plan for my life is that we would have a nice family, that we'd, we'd have nice kids. And if you'd press Mary into, Mary, dream bigger, dream bigger, she might have said, well, Joseph is going to be a carpenter, and I hope he can open up this biggest carpentry shop in Nazareth, and, and we can make a lot of money, and we can get a big house for our kids and have kids, and everybody would be healthy. And She would have ran you down this whole list of things. Listen, that would have been similar to your list. That would have been the normal things for a young engaged lady to do. And angel, the Gabriel, angel Gabriel dropped in and says, hey, time out. How about this? How about you be the mother of God? Huh? Hey, hey, I'm not buying your literature, and I don't want any of it. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scream in just a minute. No, no. God wants you to be the mother of his child. Mary has this plan laid out for her life, and it does not include being the mother of God. And there's no way, there is no way Mary's mind could have comprehended such a plan for her life. And that is what we learned. Listen, that the plan of God is far grander than we could ever imagine even for our own lives. Listen to this. Mary had, Mary, there's no way Mary would have understood what was going on? There is no way Mary knew on that day that 2,000 years from then, we would still be worshiping her son. There was no way that Mary understood that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah of the Old Testament. There's no way that Mary knew that Jesus was the creator of the universe. There was no way that Mary understood that this was part of God's design from the beginning of eternity, that there was this enormous plan of God, this huge picture, and all Mary knew was her little part. Can I tell you this? Sometimes it makes your little part a tad bit confusing. See, sometimes when you don't know what is going on in the will of God for your life, sometimes when all, I don't know what's going on in the grandiose plan of God, sometimes the little part that God has carved out for me can seem a little bit confusing. But never fear. There is a bigger plan at work. And God has you doing a small part of the big picture. When you can't see the big picture, you don't always know what's going on, but God has a plan. A few weeks ago, we had staff retreat, and we went to, uh, we ended on a Friday, and we came back, and we took the ladies out, uh, their wives out to uh, eat, and then we concluded uh, a day at something called Breakout, I think, in Chattanooga. I've got a picture here of the guys uh, I don't have a picture of the girls because they actually won that day, and so uh, I'm, it's my stage, so I'm going to show what I want to show and uh, um, break out. How many of you ever been to Breakout in Chattanooga? Yeah, oh, awesome. So some of you are going to get it. Here's what Breakout is. They put you in a tiny little room, and there's some props in the room, and then they lock the door. 
And they say, figure out how to get out. That's pretty much the extent of it. Some teenage girl takes you in a room, locks you in the room, and says, figure out how to get out. Now, here's interesting. You don't know where to start. So like, you know, we just start. We just start looking for things, trying to tear things up. Things you're not supposed to tear up, they pretty much have bolted down to the ground so you can't get them out. But all of us piled into this room, and and we started trying to tear things apart, trying to discover clues. And here's the deal. They only give you one little part of the picture at a time. And so there, is, there may be a clue that doesn't do anything but unlock another clue that unlocks another clue that still has you no closer to the exit. And it's frustrating because we thought we were smart when we walked into the room. And so we'd have a group over here working, a group over there working. At one point, I was just standing in the middle like I don't know what to do. But there's a teenage girl sitting in a booth high above us who's watching every move we make. And every now and then, when we were just way down the wrong path, she would say, eh, I don't know if that's where you ought to be looking or not. One time she said, uh, your math is wrong. All right, good to know, good to know. Your math is wrong. But here's the deal. It took us 56 minutes and 11 seconds to get out of that breakout room. And we were frustrated and we were aggravated and we got out. It wasn't like, yay, we're out. It's like, oh. I'll be honest with you. We got out. I'm still not quite sure how we got out. And that's not a joke. I'm still not quite sure how we got out. I'm not quite sure anybody, any of us in that photo understood everything that went on while we were in the room. What happened in the room stays in the room. I'm not going to tell you some, some of the guys were crying, but we'll leave it, leave it at that. But did you know that little, that little girl in the teenage room, in, that little teenage girl in the upper room there? I'm sure she laughed and laughed because when we were frustrated, she knew exactly where we were. In the grand scheme of things. And can I say to you, sometimes you feel like you're in a breakout room in life. Sometimes you feel like God's giving you clues and these clues are not adding up and these clues can't make sense and these clues, well, God, what are you doing in my life? But here's what I want you to understand, that God knows what's going on. God has the big picture. God understands. And when every little portion of your life confuses you and you don't understand why it's taking place, listen, God understands exactly what is going on in your life. And he knows, he knows there's coming a day when you'll break out of where you think you are, this bad place you think you are, he knows there's coming a day that there is another side to this because he sees the big picture. The individual clues may confuse you, but God knows. Listen, church, I know sometimes you don't understand every detail of your life. Listen, we all get confused by where God has us sometimes. I know that there are things that happen to you and there are things that happen to me that I sit back and I say, God, that does not make sense. There is no way, God, this can fit into the grander scheme of my life. But we don't know. We don't understand. God has got the big picture. And all I get is one clue at a time, one day at a time, one obedience at a time. That's why the Bible says the just have to live by faith. Because you don't see the big picture. 
when the angel showed up and said to Mary, Mary, you're going to have a baby. She didn't have any idea how that fit into the grand scheme of God. She didn't have the Bible. Mary lived and died and never had the Bible. She didn't understand that. But we look back, no, there was a big plan of God that was set in motion thousands of his years before Mary. Because God saw the big picture. And I want to say to you in your life, you may not understand, but God has the big picture. Let me show you the second thing this passage tells us. And not only does God have, we can't see the big picture. Number two, here's what he's trying to say to us. And that is, he, God, can handle the hard stuff. He can handle the hard stuff. There are some really hard things about the Christmas story. Especially if you're married. And it begins in verse 27. As a matter of fact, there's just really one hard thing. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. That's a really big deal. You know that, right? How can a woman, it's never happened in the history of the world before, how can a woman who's never known a man have a baby? How is a woman who has, who has never been intimate with a man going to have a baby? As a matter of fact, if you flip, flip it over and look in verse 34, that was the only question Mary had. The only question Mary had was, whoa, whoa wait, Gabriel, time out. The question, I have never known a man. So how am I going to be, get pregnant? And so Gabriel inserted this story in the sentence. Ah, Mary. Hey, did you know Elizabeth was about to have a baby? Elizabeth who? You, you know, your relative, Elizabeth. Listen, I only have one relative, Elizabeth, and she's, you know, 100 years old, and she's never had a child. I'm making some of that up, but she's a senior adult. She never had a child. And Gabriel said, I know, but she's about to have one. And I, 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 I wasn't there, but I know what happened. Mary just about interrupted and said, but wait. And Gabriel cut her off. I, I know it was coming out of Mary's mouth. And Gabriel said, what? For with God, all things are possible. Hey, can I say to you this morning that sometimes our lives get confusing and it seems like the plan of God has led us into a dead end and that we have no way of working them out. And I know that you've had this thought in your heart before. You've thought this, Lord, I've no, I know you're asking me to do blank, but God, I can't do blank. There is no way I can do that. God, I know you're asking me to give blank. But there's no way, God, uh, you've seen my checkbook. God, there's no way I can give blank. I know, God, that you're asking me to, to, to live a certain way, to act a certain way, to be a certain way, to show grace a certain way. I know, God, you're asking me to forgive. But, God, you don't know what you're asking me. That's how we go to God. And listen, here's what Gabriel's trying to tell you. God specializes in the no way situation. God, there's no way, no way I can do that. And God looks down and says, I can handle the hard stuff. 
As a matter of fact, I can do the impossible. And when you reach the end of your ability, you have to look to heaven and say, God, I need someone to handle the hard stuff. Now, I do that every many of you do too. I do it every year, April 15th, right? I take a box of receipts, an envelope full of receipts and stuff for my taxes, and, and I take them to my accountant, and uh, I, I send the same message every year in January. You're still doing taxes this year, right, Barry? He usually doesn't respond, and then I call him and say, Barry, I need to make sure you're doing taxes. I don't really care if you're doing anybody else's. I just need to make sure you're doing mine, right? Because I'm at the end of my ability. Like, I don't, I haven't done my taxes since it was a 1040 EZ, right? ShopRite days. And so I I don't know how to do taxes. I, I don't know how to figure taxes out. I have no idea. As a matter of fact, if I go to jail one day, it's not my fault. I'm just signing what he's putting in front of me. I have no idea what I'm signing. But here's what happens. I get beyond my ability, and I go to someone who has the ability. I go to someone who, from my perspective, can do the hard stuff. Do you know that's what we do in life? When we reach the end of our ability, we take our problems, our plan to the one who can handle the hard stuff. That's what Lazarus did. That's what the family of Lazarus did in the New Testament. They they said, they went to Jesus and they said, hey, Lazarus is dying. And then they went back to Jesus because he wasn't moving fast enough. And they said, never mind, Lazarus is dead. And then Jesus got to the funeral that was already going on. Jesus got to the funeral, and they kind of scolded him, and they said, well, Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, well, guess what? When you're the resurrection and the life, I didn't have to get here before the funeral. I'm okay to get here after the funeral. How is that? That doesn't make sense. No, but with God, all things are possible. Let's just, you can go story after story in the Bible. Look at Daniel in the Old Testament. See, here's how we would wanted Daniel's prayer answered. We, here's, here, here's how we would have prayed. Lord, spare me from the lion's den. Right? God, I don't want to go in the lion's den. Strike the king down. Get rid of him. Send angels. Wipe out these people. Whatever you do, don't let the plan end with me in the lion's den. Because we think once we get in the lion's den, the story's over. But guess what? With God, nothing is impossible. God's not scared of lions. No, I'm going to let him throw you in, Daniel. Can we talk about it, God? Can we talk about it at least? No, I'm going to let him throw you in. I don't get it. Why are you going to let him throw me in, God? Because they're hungry. I know, but I'm going to let him throw you in. Why are you going to let him throw me in? Because it's more of a testimony to me if I rescue out of the lion's den than if I rescue you from the lion's den. Well, God, I don't love that plan. I know you don't, but keep in mind, all things are possible. And see, when you get to the point in life when you feel like you're at a dead end, and this is not how you would have answered your own prayer, this is not the plan you would have laid out for your life, you get to the end and you say, well, God, this does not make sense. You can't get me out of this situation. God says, guess what? With me. All things are possible. All things are on the table. I can think of solutions to your problems in life that you can't even dream of. God says, I, I got this. 
He can handle the hard stuff. Number three, and I'm finished. I'm finished in a hurry. Number three, here's what this, plan t- here's what this story tells us. The only part you have to worry about is yours. It's in, it's in verse 38. And don't even turn there. You can close your Bibles. Verse 38. Verse 38 is the key to the whole passage because in verse 38, Mary joyfully accepted God's plan for her life. Remember me telling you that? She just didn't accept it. She accepted it joyfully for her life. And the road was not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, let me tell you how hard the road was for her life. By law, the moment she became expecting, we'll look at that later, she should have been divorced or the arrangement should have been annulled. By law. So when Mary says in verse 38, Be it, I'm the handmaid of the Lord, I'm joyfully accepting the will of God. Listen, that's a bigger deal. She's got some questioning, questions running through her mind. She's got some questions she does not yet have the answer to. She knows that this road is going to be hard, that the journey is not going to be easy. She couldn't comprehend the enormity of what God was about to do, but she didn't have to. Here's what Mary figured out that you and I need to figure out. I'm not responsible for the whole plan of God. I'm responsible for my part of the plan of God. Well, how are we going to worry? It's not your your plan, not your problem. Your problem is your obedience to the plan of God. Sherry and I just got back from, uh, I brought a picture. I didn't ask her permission to do this, but I brought a picture. Uh, We're standing on the Hoover Dam uh, in Nevada this week. We, I spent the whole week, last six, seven days in Nevada, and, and I took a group on a tour of Hoover Dam. It's our second time there. It gets more amazing uh, when you go there even a second time. It's an architectural marvel, especially considering it was built in 1931 and finished in 1936, two years ahead of time. Back then, it cost $49 million to build. I read that this week. That it, That's approximately $5 billion in today's monies. Do you know how much concrete is in that? Here's what they said, that they dumped a bucket of concrete every 70 seconds at the Hoover Dam and did that for 363 days a year for two years without stop. That's 24 hours a day for two years with two days off. They poured, uh, they dumped a bucket. I don't mean like a pail. I mean like a concrete bucket every 70 seconds. Did you know there's enough concrete in the Hoover Dam, get this, to pave a sidewalk around the equator of the world. It was built by a company called Six Companies. It was six companies actually winning together. They went on to build other dams and military projects. 21,000 different people worked on the project. At its height in 1934, there were 5,251 people working on the project. Some of the jobs were amazing. Engineers, architects. There were geologists that had to study the rock and soil around this for years before and years after. There were some brilliant men. Brilliant. When you see it, I asked the tour guide this year, I said, so if we were to build this dam today, almost 100 years later, what would be different? And he said, nothing. It was built in 1931 the way we would build it today. Just update some of the technology, which they do. There were some brilliant people, architects, engineers, geologists. And then there were people 
who picked up trash, shoved up gravel, cleaned the bathrooms. But 5,251 people in July 1934, every single one of them contributed to the larger plan. Look, when you're picking up gravel at the foot of the dam, by the way, the dam's almost a cube. At the bottom, it is, as you can't see it, it's as wide as it is tall almost. It's almost a cube. The guys that were shoveling up gravel down at the bottom of the dam, they weren't concerned with the bigger picture. They were just getting up every day, going to do their part, knowing that somehow their part fit in to the total construction of the Hoover Dam. So let me ask you a question. We have this idea. Are are you doing your part? Because we have this idea that if we don't do our part, then God will get someone else to do our part. But guess what? I've already got a part to do. That other person's already got a part to do. God has so designed his plan that it takes obedience on all of our parts. The uniqueness in the plan of God is that your part is crucial to the kingdom and only you can do it. That means when God places somebody in your path to witness to, you can't say, well, if I don't do it, somebody will witness to them because that's not true. God's placed you there to be a witness. When the offering plate passes, you can't say, well, if I don't give, somebody will give. That's not true. They're already giving. God has put you there exactly where you are to give what he's blessed you with. When you say, well, I'm not going to serve. Somebody else will do it. I need some time off. No, somebody else has already got something to do. Your part is your part. It's personal. And the only part you have to worry about is yours. That's what Mary did. Mary said in her heart, I don't get all this. I don't have all my questions answered. However, Gabriel, tell God, I'll be obedient, joyfully obedient to do my part. Man, that's awesome. That's how the plan of God works. You don't see the big picture, but there's a big one. Man, as part of the plan of God, there are going to be some impossible tasks along the way. But guess what? He's handling the hard stuff. All you have to worry about is being obedient to your part. Would you stand with me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, this is your opportunity to trust him today. I want to invite you when we sing for you to slip out from the uh, pew, walk down the aisle, take me or a staff member by the hand and say, I want to become a Christian. If you want to join our church today, if you want to come for baptism, I'm going to invite you to slip out, walk down the aisle, tell one of us, hey, I want to join this church. I want to be baptized. And we'll walk through the process. If you need to be saved or joined, don't just come kneel. We won't know why you're there. But come talk to one of us and say, hey, here's the decision I want to make. And so that's becoming a Christian, being saved, being baptized. Just come tell one of us that. I wonder how many of you are here this morning, you're believers. And you would be honest enough to say, not lie to you, preacher. I'm confused by the plan of God going on in my life. I'm not going to lie to you, preacher. I, I don't quite get what's happening. I'm kind of at a dead end. I'm kind of at a crossroads. I'm at this spot. I don't know what's going on. Listen, here's the trouble. We all get there. You're not unique because there is a big picture you don't see. You'll never see it until you get to heaven. 
I know some of you are thinking, but preacher, man, uh, you don't know my life. The money's not there. The health is not there. The relationships aren't there. The, the energy's not there. This, pre preacher, there are some big hurdles. I know, I know God specializes in those big hurdles. He handles the hard stuff. You've got to be responsible for your part. I wonder how many of you this morning need to find your way to the altar and say, God, here's the deal. I don't understand what is going on in your life, but here's what I want you to help me do. I want you to help me be obedient to my part. I want you to help me trust you and what you're doing in my life, and I want to be obedient to the plan you've laid out for me. Father, draw us with your spirit. You've spoken through your word in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.